today. I am here to give you the assurance that I have not forgotten you. If we want to see the new evangelization become more than just jargon, if we want to see it grow legs and gain traction and change the world, we have got to take seriously our responsibilities as husbands and fathers and especially as sons of God. I want to propose to you then that something that our world is desperately in need of in the midst of this crisis is Catholic Christian masculinity. If you want to be a good father, then bring your children to confession with you. I can't get there unless I become a man of ascesis, a man of asceticism, a man of training. A man not doing penance, a man not disciplined, is not a man. You guys have upped your game. You know what, guys, I gotta say, I, I love this the concept of the show. Warning, the Catholic Man Show is about to begin. And welcome to the Catholic Man Show. We're on the Lord's team, the winning side, so raise your glass. I am Adam Minhan. Sitting to my left is the David Niles. And sitting to my right is my dear friend, Father Bochansky. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today, this evening at the 2019 Courage Conference. I was going to say international. Is it International Courage Conference? Is that the, the official title? Yes, indeed. It's um, Courage and Encourage Conference, and it's uh, certainly international. We have uh, guests here from, I think, nine different countries. Um, about Sweet. 300 people, friends of ours, um, members of our apostolate, our chaplains, and uh, our members are, are here um, to, for, it's kind of part family reunion, part workshop, part retreat, and uh, great to have you guys with us here as well. Thanks for being here. Yeah, yeah, thanks for the invite. Yeah, yeah. this is my first time here at Mundelein, and just campus is beautiful. It's 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 really it excellent to be here. Absolutely, it is so gorgeous. the 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 church is beautiful. the The lake is uh, is absolutely gorgeous. The whole the whole campus is beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so how the, I I just got here this this evening. The conference started today. And I, we I actually Thursday last night actually. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. How is it going? I've been hearing good things. Yeah, it's going really well so far. Um, uh, Father Paul Scalia, who's the chairman of our board of directors, he gave a great keynote talk last night on praying in times of crisis. Um, mm. And uh, we started uh, this morning with uh, Father Michael Gately. Oh, uh, yeah. Some of your listeners will know from his uh, 30 33 Days to Morning Glory. Yeah, sure. So he gave us a, an awesome talk on uh, St. Therese and her little way. Uh, her total dependence on on God's love and and, and uh, on the divine mercy. So, uh, we had mass uh, after that with uh, Cardinal Thomas Collins. He's the Archbishop of Toronto, so he's with us for a couple days. Uh, and then uh, some great talks this afternoon on purity uh, for men and women of the of courage. And then a uh, great talk for our encouraged parents on how to accompany family members who are living with the experience of same-sex attraction. Uh, then we had some uh, some meetings for our folks and and uh, another great keynote talk tonight on um, on just uh, relying on God's grace uh, to grow in holiness. Another board member of ours, Father Peter Ryan, uh, gave the talk tonight. So um, yeah, the first the first full day today was mm -hmm. uh, was full to be sure, but uh, everybody seems pretty revved up by it. And and uh, now we after the, the evening talk tonight, we started. Uh, uh, exposition that's going to go through the night so uh, they'll be praying for us and uh you know make sure you stop in the chapel after we're done oh, recording and, and yeah you'll have to point me in the right direction at when we're it's done sec it's second floor correct just right above where we're oh, recording yeah. now. it's yeah. in this building absolutely wonderful 
you know, the, uh, the, the Passion of the Christ where Mary's on top and then right below it zooms down and, and Jesus is right there. It's like, boom. It's kind of like almost right there. Jesus is on top. Oh, you mean when he's in prison? Yeah. Uh, I didn't know what you were talking about there for a second. But oh, the Passion of the Christ? Yeah, yeah. I was trying to... I didn't know what scene, but yes, he's in the, the he's basement, yes. locked up. Yeah, okay, I'm with you now. Okay, okay. Anyway, so uh, does that make us Jesus in this well, scenario? After I after I said that, I realized that this the the situation doesn't really play it's like out backwards. Yeah, it's backwards. It's like if Mary got arrested for something. Yeah. How many years has been going on? So this is our 31st annual conference. Okay. And uh, Courage was founded. No in, kidding. Yeah, indeed. And Courage was founded in late uh, September 1980. So uh, we're about to uh, celebrate our 40th anniversary as an apostolate uh, next year. So let's talk a little bit about the founders. Yeah, that's awesome. Because uh, some people may not know very much about, uh, outside if you haven't listened to uh, our show very much, Father Bochanski was on, how long ago was that? Just a few months ago? Back, Maybe. In, back in the spring when I was out visiting in uh, Tulsa talking to yeah. the priests out there. Right. So maybe you know a few months ago you were on, but... Uh, for those who don't know, let's talk a little bit about what Courage is, what Encourage is, mm -hmm. and maybe the founders. Sure. So Courage was founded uh, by Father John Harvey. He's an oblate of St. Francis de Sales, and um, he was already um, 62 when he, when he founded this. was kind of his retirement project, I suppose. And he led the apostolate till he was uh, till the year he turned 90. Uh, so he's uh, right on. Yeah, has such a huge impact on. Uh, on on the growth of the apostolate throughout the 80s and uh, 90s and uh, up till 2008. Um, so Father was uh, was already working with priests and uh, religious brothers who were experiencing same-sex attractions and just looking for help to um, to live their celibate commitment with integrity. Mm -hmm. uh, and so um, he he became known for that. And so uh, in 1980, Cardinal Terence Cook, who was the Archbishop of New York wanted to have some kind of pastoral support for men in his diocese who were themselves living with same-sex attractions, maybe identifying as gay. And they wanted to, to move back to a, a chaste way of life, but they weren't sure. They didn't think they could do it on their own. They didn't know if the church had a, play, a way to help them. So uh, Cardinal Cook approached Father Harvey, and he gathered our, our first Courage chapter uh, you know, in New York um, just to see how it would go. And uh, it was the members themselves, our, our charter members, who, who chose the name Courage. They had a long list of, of virtues that they thought they could use as a title. And they thought, well, the thing that all those other virtues have in common is that you need courage to carry them out in the modern world. So uh, so that's where the name came from. And then shortly after that, Father asked them to to uh, kind of set some goals that they wanted to, to live by. And, and so the five goals of courage that our founding members established are still kind of our constitution. We read them at the beginning of every meeting. and. They're, they're what we do. So the first goal is to live a chaste life, uh, according to what the church teaches about uh, homosexuality. Mm -hmm. uh, the second goal is to grow in a life of prayer and dedication, then to create an atmosphere of uh, fellowship where everybody can support one another by sharing their own life experiences and just making sure that everybody knows they don't have to go through all this alone. Uh, the fourth goal is to grow in chaste friendship. Uh, and that's really the, the focus of our conference this year is courageous friendship as a source of renewal and hope. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the fifth goal is uh, to live lives, give good example to other people. Uh, so because of that fifth goal, you know, giving good example, the, the, the story of the apostolate spread pretty quickly. And, uh, and then we established chapters in other cities in the U.S. So Philadelphia and Boston were, were the first ones to kind of uh, imitate what was happening in New York. 
Uh, and then Father Harvey uh, became known in Catholic publications and, and parents of people who identified as, as LGBT, as we would say today, uh, were reaching out to Father, you know, personally and saying, you know, this is not my story, but it's in my family. How do I, how do I keep the faith and keep my family intact and, and mm -hmm. keep a strong relationship with my son or daughter when I have to say, like, I, I, I don't think that what they're doing is what God wants. And so the Father would, would work with them one-on-one -on -one at first and then uh, started to put them in touch with each other. And that's where, that was the origin of, of the Encourage Apostolate, which is uh, another part of the pastoral care that we provide to parents, spouses, siblings, other family members whose loved ones maybe aren't practicing the faith or identifying as LGBT and, and the, their families are coming to us and saying, you know, help me to put this in perspective, understand what God wants for me, for my family, you know, how do, how do we do this? So, uh, so Encourage was kind of formally uh, founded around 1992. And uh, now we have about 150 Courage chapters and about uh, 80 Encourage chapters uh, in, I think we're up to 18 countries uh, on, nice. on four continents. So, wow. Yeah. That is amazing. I don't think Father Harvey and our first members could ever could have ever imagined that. What, what we'd be no what way. We'd be Father looking Harvey at seems like later. a rock star, like in a quiet, cheerful way. Yeah, he's. Um, you'll see it tomorrow. Uh, one of our charter members is still very active. His name's uh, Gary H, and he's an artist. And he, he oh, really? uh, on, at last year's conference, which was Father Harvey's, uh, would have been Father Harvey's hundredth hundredth uh, birthday. Uh, Gary unveiled a portrait of Father, and it's, that's kind of the centerpiece of the, the hall. Yeah. And that, that that's out there right now in the dining hall? That's right. That's yes, on the stage. Yes, I saw of, that. Mm -hmm. It looks beautiful. It's It almost looks like more like a, a photograph than an actual picture. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so it's he's, phenomenal. He's not just an artist, then. He's like he's really, really good. He's He did another one of good, JP2 yeah. right. that was right there beside it, correct? That's right. That's yeah. Right. It's phenomenal, but there, there's so much importance uh, of having it. You know, we we're made for communion. We're made uh, to be together. We're one body of Christ. Uh, the hand can't say to the foot, "I have no need for you." And so it's so important. I'm so glad that you're having the the Courage Conference this year is about friendship because authentic friendship is something that we need so desperately in in, in today's world. Oh, amen. And, and it's it's something that many people think that they have. They think that they have yeah. authentic friendship mm -hmm. until they realize uh, that they're in, 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 a, in a world of trouble and until they realize that their back is up against the wall and they have no one to call. We live in this world of this, like, I have 5,000 Facebook friends and I have not one person to call whenever I'm in trouble. That's right. That's right. Um, and so it's so good to, to reflect on this idea of they say that you're, you're the you're sum of five, the five people you hang out with the most. You're the sum of those five people. The average. The average, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. the average, not the mean, not not the I'm, sum. I'm, I'm five. all five of these people, <laughs> uh, but but the average of these five people. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have to think, okay, well, who are these five people, and are they bringing me closer to Christ, or are they drifting me further away from Christ? Are right. they building in yeah, virtue, or are we building in vice? That's right. Yeah, you know, I I kind of summarized and paraphrased the, the the five goals, but that fourth goal, the way that our founding members wrote it, is so, so beautiful. It's to be mindful of the fact that chaste friendships are not only possible, but necessary in a chaste Christian life mm. and to uh, help one another in forming and sustaining these friendships. Yeah. So, and of course, that's why you guys are here. You, you know this, your listeners don't. But tomorrow afternoon, uh, we're going to divide up men and women again and have talks on, on forming and sustaining chaste friendships. So yeah. I'm so glad that you guys are gonna, here to share your story and your friendship with, with our folks and just encourage them in that. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. We're, we're really excited. Hopefully, everybody will enjoy it. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know how Dave's going to perform. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. 
it, it all depends on Dave. So when we get back, we're going to continue this conversation with Father Bochanski. I'm here with David Niles here on the line. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles, here with Adam Minahan and Father Philip Bochanski. You know, Father, my middle name is Philip. Yeah, but actually, two L's. He two actually L's. goes by Philip in the... I'm a 2L Philip. In the uh, secular world, he goes yes, by Yes, professionally. I'm, I work with my dad, whose name is also David Niles. Mm -hmm. Our clients, if they call in and ask for David Niles, it's less confusing if Got there's it. not two of us. Understood. But the truth is there are. <laughs> um, so you, Father, you wrote a book a long time ago. That, wait, ten, let ten me start years over. ago. Let me let me start over. Yes, you had a book that just came out. That's right. But you worked on it a long time ago. Yeah, the origins of of the book, which is called "The Virtue of Hope: How Confidence in God Can Lead You to Heaven," uh, were, were talks that I gave uh, in a parish uh, assignment that I had in uh, Philadelphia. Um, at the time I was doing adult faith formation, uh, a couple times a year, a series of talks. and uh, It was just after Pope Emeritus Benedict wrote his encyclical on hope called Space mm. Salvi. You know? And so uh, in the introduction to the encyclical, he talks about how we see uh, the virtue of hope really through the example of courageous people, saints and other holy people that, that put hope into practice. So that kind of inspired me to... to just kind of think of some of my favorite saints and holy people from that perspective and develop that into a series of, of talks I gave in the parish and then mm -hmm. uh, recorded them uh, professionally um, about a year after that. And then uh, just recently, uh, the company that recorded them uh, put the put all my uh, titles on audible.com. And so uh, got a radio host asked me to, asked to interview me about the what he had heard on Audible, and then the publishers heard the interview and, and asked, talk, asked about doing a print book. So, yeah, so it uh, came together pretty quickly, and uh, but I'm glad that that those those uh, the the saints that I had you know learned about all those years ago kind of have a second life now in, in this format. So, uh, so tan, it, tan books published it about a month ago. Oh, I like yeah. Tan. Mm -hmm. Everything mm -hmm. Tan does is good, mm -hmm. and you. Uh, and <laughs> so, is there a big difference between the the book and the audio the audio book? Uh, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> not much difference. It, it's basically, the, the it's an adaptation of, uh -huh. of the the audio lectures uh, in the in the print. I book. like it. Thank you. I've been huge into audio books lately, uh -huh. and it doesn't happen very often where you get the audio book first. I don't think. Right. And then and then the book. But uh, so, where's the best place for people to get it? Uh, they get it directly from Tan. They get it mm -hmm. on, on Amazon. You know, Doesn't basically any place they anywhere. Get books Just from. Google it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, let, let's talk a little bit about it because I, I, I'm a, like our show is geared towards virtue. Mm -hmm. You know, so we, let's talk about the theological virtue of hope. I think that a lot of guys, it, it, it's I, I think hope is a tough one to, for for, for men because if if they're stuck in a, in the rut of sin. Mm -hmm. And year after year goes by, and it's like, yes, I'm still the same guy. It's like, you know, I, I, I've been there before where it, it just feels like I have not made any progress in my spiritual life. I've not made any progress right. in my regular life. It's, I, I, 
I don't know why I'm even living. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. You mm -hmm. know, like, why do I feel like that I'm just in this rut? Mm -hmm. This the theological virtue of hope is so important. That's right. Uh, of, of keeping your eye on on, on what what we're supposed to do and, and the hope in Jesus. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, one one important thing about hope is that it's really it's the virtue of the the journey. Like it's the virtue that we practice when we're on the way. And it makes all the difference in the world if you realize I'm still a work in progress as opposed to I've already got to the end of the road, right? And so if you, if you don't remember that you're still on the way, then you fall into one of the two sins that are the kind of the classic sins against hope. On the one hand, presumption. I'm, I'm already where I need to be and there's no more work to be done. I can just kind of rest here. And frankly, a lot of us do that. Like we, can, we convert up to a certain point and then we get comfortable, we kind of plateau. It's like, yeah, this is good. I, I can just kind of stay here for a while. Right. Um, the other sin against isn't it? Isn't that because I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but That's isn't that? Uh, oh, let's t let's touch on that just a little bit more because I think that there's a lot of guys also there, and then we'll talk about, talk about the other side too. But sure. I think that the reason why the plateau happens is because you become comfortable, and it's tough to to break through to the next point, right? Because it, it right. requires a lot more effort, and you have to you know kind of endure this arduous understanding of, of our of our faith and, and a prayer life and mm -hmm. a spiritual life and obviously virtue is something that it's a it's a habit it's right. a habit of doing well uh, right. of doing the good and habits are not easy to form no and no. they have to, you have to be intentional about doing them and, you know, the thing about hope like faith and love is it's a theological virtue which means unlike the cardinal virtues prudence, right. justice fortitude temperance which we kind of have to start not from scratch but we have to build them up ourselves um hope is infused into us primarily with the gift of sanctifying grace that comes in baptism but also it's, it's restored and animated and built up every time that we receive the sacraments every time we ask god for an outpouring of his grace to stir up the holy spirit he's giving us a dose of hope right because it's like faith and love we need hope if we're going to have any chance of a relationship with god we have to mm -hmm. be able to trust his plan or else we can't <coughs> be in relationship with him so the thing about hope when we're feeling hopeless is to remember it's a theological virtue. If I'm in God's grace, I have hope. I just have to use that. Don't have to go searching for it. Don't have to dig it up from somewhere. That's I just have to point. put it into practice. Right? Great point. Yeah, that's but, true. But like even like people have natural talents for music or you know singing or or art or whatever. Um, you can have all the natural talent in the world. If you never pick up a paintbrush or sit down at the piano, you're not doing anything with it. It's not developing past that initial gift, right? So theological virtues, it's its the both end. I have it because God gave it to me, and I need to practice it. I need to put it into practice for it to do me much good, right? Um, but you know what, what keeps us from, from despairing, which is the other sin against hope, mm -hmm. uh, is remembering... I have this, I, what I need to pray for is the grace to access it, to stay persevering with it, to put it into practice. Which do you think is more dangerous, despair or la laziness? What, what? Presumption. Presumption, despair, yeah, yeah, presumption. Well, I think presumption, if we surround ourselves with people who tell us the truth, they're going to knock us off our presumptive high horse yeah. pretty soon, right? <laughs> the thing about despair is, you know, when we, when we think there's, there's really no possibility for me to get where I need to go, um, this is just 
pure and simple, beyond me, I'll never be able to do it. Despair brings along that sadness, which is isolating. And the more isolated we get, the less we want to ask for help. Um, you know, and, and the reason that we need hope is because we need help, right? St. Thomas Aquinas says the object of the virtue of hope is a future good, which is demanding but possible. Right, so it's meant to be a challenge. Right, it's meant to you know we need hope for things that are difficult, um, and the reason we need theological hope is because our vocation is a supernatural one. Right, to to be a saint, to be in relationship with Almighty God, to live an eternal life—that's a supernatural vocation. Mm -hmm. By definition, it goes beyond our natural abilities. So it's no good to say like I I can't do this. God just says, Yeah, I know you can't do it on your own. Jesus said that at the Last Supper, apart from me, you can do nothing. He didn't say, apart from me, it's going to be difficult. It's apart gonna, from yeah, me, you, you're you, going to struggle. Right. Right. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So if God is real and omnipotent and omniscient, if he can do what he says he can do and he knows everything and he's calling us to something supernatural, then one of three things has to be true, right? Either he doesn't know that that it goes beyond our ability. Right. And that doesn't seem to be the case of God's omniscient. Um, he doesn't care and, in fact, has set us up to fail. And that's not the case. Well, then the only alternative is he knows I can't do what he's asking me to do unless he's going to help me, which means he's already decided to help me. And he's got a plan to help me. And whether he tells me the whole plan, you know, ever, right, or, right. or gives it to me one step at a time, whether I feel like he's he's there by my side, like be, because he's God, we know if he's calling me to something supernatural, um, he's he's already figured out how to help me to accomplish it. And hope is the virtue that allows us to keep that in mind and to act on it, to trust. Right, I'm gonna do what he's asking me to do, and he's gonna be there to do the rest of it for me. This and, is one of those examples that that shows that the the answer to every question is Jesus. Um, Amen to that, yeah. <laughs> because without Jesus, that we would have n no hope. I mean, we would still, I mean, I guess we'd still be under the old covenants and, mm -hmm. you know, so there'd be some hope there. But, you know, I just, as being raised a Catholic and just with my Christian worldview, without him, without Christ, that's why he is our hope. You know, we, we say that Christ is our hope. That's Otherwise, right. we'd be hopeless. How are we supposed to get to heaven? You know, and even for the Jews, it was through Christ. They just didn't know that. That's right. Um, and so it's, you know, we're talking about friendship. We mentioned that a little bit. Once again, answer to every question is Jesus. Mm -hmm. If Jesus isn't in that friendship, then it's just no good. And you need friends to get to heaven. That's right. right? I mean, you remember yes. the, story, the story of the, the paralyzed man, you know, where the guys, right. they're trying to get him in the door. He can't get in the door. They go up on the roof, you know, and Mark tells us Jesus was at home, right? This is Jesus' house, and his roof is crumbling over his own head. I'd and be so mad if people I did that. Too. <laughs> yeah, because then you know, what we forget is at the end of the miracle, when everybody goes home, Jesus is there, and he's still going to fix the roof, yeah. <laughs> right? Right. Yeah, but, he's a carpenter. He knows what to do. But, but they, 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 it's this guy's friends that bring him to Jesus and lower him down, and he praises their faith and the faith of the man who's, who's there to be healed. Right? Yeah, I don't think, once again, I don't think I would have said that. Been like, you better fix that roof. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I'll, I'll, I'll talk to your friend here, but you are gonna fix that roof. Mm -hmm. There's a front door. Yeah, but it's it's so. I mean, it, it's freeing. I think you know when, yeah. when you realize you know God does not expect me to do this on my own. Yeah, you know, right. a, a good friend of mine, he he describes himself as atheist but questioning, 
And he says, you know, why do you need God? Isn't it better to do things on your own? And I, told, I don't think I've ever done anything worthwhile in my life completely alone, even from human, human interactions, and right. certainly not without God's help. Yeah. We're going to continue this conversation about the virtue of hope with Father Berchanski here in Mundelein Seminary. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. Show sitting here with Father Bochansky at the 2019 International Courage Conference here in Mundelein, Illinois. Here with David Niles. We're going to talk about the virtue of hope. Uh, Father, I recently, well, I say recently, maybe a year a year ago, I went to um, Crucio. I, I attended my first Crucio. Was it De, two years ago? De Calores, my friend. De Calores. Uh, and, and one of the conversations that I had with the guy there in Crucio is we were talking about how of the three theological virtues, uh, the only one you have left whenever you get to heaven is charity, is, is love. Right. And he, he uh, I could tell that he had not thought about the idea of like once you, once you get to heaven, you don't need it. You don't need faith anymore. It's in front of you. You see faith. You, you, yeah. right. you don't need hope anymore. You're already there. You've achieved your goal. Yep. Right. So, so that I, I think that, that brings home the idea of like what hope is, is like, we're hoping to get there. Once we're there, we don't. We're there. We've achieved. We've ran the race. Right. It's it's the virtue that God gives us to get us started and keep us going along the path that He's marked out for us. Yeah, and knowing that that uh, Christ has given us Him and His Church to get us there. Right. And then the obligation on us is, as Saint Peter says in his his letter there in the back in the Testament, says, always be ready to give other people a reason for your hope. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and I think that's that's something we forget about our vocation. Like, obviously, God has a plan for us, but the way that we respond to His plan and and our cheerfulness and our, you know, holy optimism and our perseverance and even the way that we we kind of survive difficult moments, like that, is having an impact on the people around us. Our putting hope into practice. Is, a, is itself attractive. It's drawing other people to the faith. I love that. I, I actually, talk, we were talking to Carlo Broussard not too long ago about this idea of, of, of that verse is people always focus on the front part of always be ready to defend your faith, but they forget about the, the last part that says uh, for the hope that was that is within you. So that, that almost presupposes that the, the person that you're talking to or, or that you're, you're having a conversation with already recognizes there's something different about you that sets you apart from everybody else yeah, because yep, there's yeah. some kind of hope within you. There's something different about you. And even if they can't respond in that moment, right, they walk away thinking, what does he know that I don't know? Right. right. What has he got that I don't have? And and you, you can say a lot of good things about the faith and about God, and, and that, that kind of witness is so important. But it's people are going to pick up so much more from how we live our lives. Right? Uh, I remember... Um, a good friend of mine, she uh, she came to the parish where I was uh, assigned at the time for to join RCIA to become Catholic, mm-hmm. 
And I asked her, so why do you want to why do you want to join the church? Why do you want to become Catholic? And she was dating a, a Catholic guy at the time, and she's now married to him. They have a, a couple of wonderful kids, and and she said, you know, his mom has been through family deaths and illnesses and personal stuff. She said, and and you know, I've had some of that in my life as well. She said, but I watch her and the way that she kind of bounces back from these and 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 gets through these tragic moments, and. And I look and I ask myself, how does she do that? And she said, I, I know it's that she's a Catholic and that she's got, she's got that that faith and hope to sustain her, and, and that's what I want. And mm. so if it means joining the church, like I'm ready. That's I need that for me. So that's I need to go where she got her, got it from and, and get it for myself. That's one of those things so hard to do. You know, it's like we talk about it. Oh yeah, you die. You know, you, every we all want to go to heaven, and then, it, when it strikes close to home, all of a sudden you kind of forget about that. Oh, you know let's all go to heaven stuff. You're just sad that you just lost somebody. And that's, you know, that's very normal. But every now and then I've met people like that before who have like a strength deep inside of them. And I think it is just because they really have this hope. Would you talk a little bit about the, the correlation, the, the similarities between faith and hope? Because it seems like if you don't have faith, well, then you probably won't have any hope because you, what do you, you don't even know what to hope for. Right. And, and, and for that reason, it's funny, you know, half of uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict's encyclical on hope is talking about faith, right? Because, oh. because there's a lot of overlap. And, you know, I, I sometimes say, you know, hope is like any middle child, right? Uh, it, gets, <laughs> it gets overlooked, right? You know, we, we know what faith is. We know what love is about. Hope is somewhat harder to define, right? But I, I look at it this way. So, so faith is the virtue that God gives us so that we can believe in him, right? Uh-huh. Believe that we have this relationship with him and uh, and therefore believe what he says, right? Um, and hope is the virtue that once we believe in God and believe in his plan, um, gets us to uh, to kind of step out from our, where we're comfortable and, and move closer to him. So an analogy that I use sometimes, faith is like the virtue that allows us to recognize God as our father when he's holding us in his arms and we're looking up into his face, right? Hope is the virtue that allows us to trust God our father when he's standing across the room from us and saying, all right, now walk over here, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, and especially, you know, you think of a little baby just taking its first steps. Like, he's got to really trust, like, if I try this, he's not going to let me fall, right? He's, I can move towards him and he's, he's going to help me. Um, and then love, of course, is the virtue that gets us moving and, and, and is the impetus that kind of pushes us towards the Father that loves us so much. So I don't know if that illustrates yeah, it a little no, bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. Do uh, you ha- oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to ask, do you have a favorite? I was just looking through your index here, just at all the different mm-hmm. saints you have in here. Do you have a favorite one? Uh, there's a couple. Um, I know it's like you know, you know what's your favorite kid? I know. <laughs> so uh, you know, there's a priest that that really inspires me, uh, and I tell his story in the book. His name is Father Walter Chizek. Some of your readers will be familiar with his his books, "With God in Russia" and "He Leadeth Me." Uh, Father Walter was was uh, born to a Polish immigrant family in upstate Pennsylvania. Um, he decided to be uh, well. First, when he was a kid, he was the leader of, of a local gang, basically. <laughs> um, and so, when he said he was going to the seminary, nobody believed him. 
So we went to uh, that is a, that is a switch. <laughs> that's, that's, a yeah. that's a change. So so we went to a, a Polish seminary out here in the Midwest uh, for a couple of years, and then he heard about the Jesuits, and so he went to New York and he knocked on the door of the provincial house in New York and, and said, I w "I'm going to be a Jesuit." And they said, "All right, slow down, kid. <laughs> like, yeah, let's pump your brakes." Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> he joined the community um, when he was approaching ordination. Uh, Pope Pius XI um, had asked uh, priests throughout the world to consider. Uh, training uh, to go into Russia. And, you know, this was after the, the Soviet uh, Revolution, um, and to, to go into Russia and, and serve Catholics there. So he volunteered, was sent, was sent to Rome, studied at the the Pontifical Oriental College, where you know they he learned uh, the Russian language and the liturgy of the the uh, the, the Byzantine part of the Catholic Church. Um, and so then he was sent first to Poland and then to Ukraine. And right as World War II was breaking out, uh, he and another priest uh, went into Russia just dressed as, as laymen. They had, they had papers that identified them as laborers. And then they started to uh, work among the Catholics that they found there in Russia under the Soviet regime. Uh, he was arrested pretty quickly and held in solitary confinement by the predecessor agency to the KGB uh, for five years. And they finally forced him to, finally got him to, to sign a false confession. Uh, and that, at that point, he had a crisis of faith. You know, it just, he's signed the false confession, betrayed his own conscience. He's still in solitary, and everything just kind of fell apart. Uh, and he. It's a lot that, like the movie Silence, kind of. Something so far. like that, yeah. So far, yeah. Yeah, and so. In that moment, he said, God had his eye on me, and I began to despair, but he didn't let me f fall that far. He said he reached out to me, and he kind of found himself in prayer with Jesus in the agony in the garden, you know, huh. and just, he said in that moment, like, because he had nothing in himself that he could trust or rely on anymore, he was finally able to trust Jesus completely, you know, and this guy, he was he was full of faith, he was, he, he was strong in prayer, you know, he was a good priest, you know, but he, reflecting on that, he said, I thought I had given myself over to God. I thought I was doing God's will, and I was like up to a point. Yeah. So, but at that moment, I realized like there were little hedges that I had planted around certain parts of my life that I was going to do for God instead of letting God mm. in the, to help me. This is about me, like things that I wasn't ready to change, ready to hand over. He said, and when I realized I had no power in myself, you know, that I could rely on, I could finally knock the hedges down, let God in all the way. And he said, from that point on, my life was totally different. Um, and from that point on, he just tried to see everything as, as coming to him uh, from God, according to God's plan, and he, and he tried his best not to question it. So he was in uh, a work camp in Siberia for nine years, and then under house arrest in Siberia for nine more. And finally, in 1962, he was exchanged for uh, some uh, Soviet spies that the Americans had had uh, had arrested and uh, came back to the U.S. But his, his the Jesuits and his family all thought that he he had died many years before. Oh wow! So, yeah. So he lived a very quiet life, uh, first in Wernersville, PA, and then at Fordham University till he died in the early 1980s. But uh, he's just that you know, he that moment of you know. It could, what could have been total despair, you know, became that moment when he was just saved by hope, right? And and where God reached out and said, "Look, you don't have to figure this out. You don't have to rely on yourself. Rely on me instead, and yeah. let's see what happens." So, what was one of the saints uh, that, that you picked that you didn't realize at the very beginning? You you wouldn't have said this 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 saint would have been part of the virtue of hope. 
Um, you know, I, I tell the story in the book of, of the, the saints of Molokai, uh, St. Damien de Wester and St. Yeah. Marianne Cope. And I, I just, I didn't know too much about them um, before I started researching them for, for, you know, for the talks first and then the book. Um, I knew what Damien had done in terms of going and, and being, and certainly practicing the, the virtue of charity, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but the more I read about the situation on Molokai, uh, the more I realized how much it had to do not just with, with love, but with, definitely with love. We'll finish this story on the other side of the break. Sounds great. Yeah. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your class. Here with Adam Minahan. Our guest today is Father Philip Bochansky, Grand Poobah, Courage International Ministries. That's a, that's what's on his business card. Yeah, I mean that's that's just <laughs> his title. Yeah. Uh, we do have a peanut gallery today. No. <laughs> yes, we do. What? It's a popcorn gallery. Oh, a popcorn gallery. So we have the one and only Margot Basso uh, in the flesh, and then we have Juan Posada. Uh, our, our good friend, uh, but Father, you were you were talking about Father Damien, right? Um, of Molokai, I think most people have probably heard his story. You know, he went to the to minister to the lepers and yeah. missionary um, from Belgium, yeah. sent to Hawaii, and uh, the Hawaiian government had just been taking people who were suffering with leprosy and putting them on this remote island, uh, and so because what else back then? It's like you just right. They, what are you going to do? I mean, we know now that that leprosy is not as is not as contagious as they thought it was. Um, at any rate, they, they'd asked for, uh, for priests to go for like a week or two weeks at a time uh, to celebrate the sacraments there. Uh, Damien was the first to, uh, to volunteer, and when it was time for him to come back, he said, no, I, I think I'll stay. Right, and he spent. He, he was there till he died. Uh, and of leprosy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, indeed. And, um, you know, when he got there, it was, I mean, they'd, they had literally just kind of taken people out there on a boat, dumped them off on the island. You know, every couple every couple of weeks they'd come in, throw food and supplies, like just to just throw them from the boat into the water, and they'd have to go out and get them. But there was no kind of care for for these people as human beings, right? And he got there it was really kind of a just a, a horrible place. You know, people were had no concern for one another, no charity, no anything. And so he got there and. And saw something in these people that they couldn't see in themselves, right? Uh, and the first thing he did was start building a church, right? And then he uh, kind of organized them, uh, you know, into a small community there. And and you know, really, I think we see the virtue of hope in him, in the way that you know, in in the midst of of people who were physically suffering and a disease that deformed even their bodies, right? And who were, you know, just despairing and angry and violent towards one another, he didn't. He never lost hope that these are sons, uh, sons of God and and brothers in Christ, and and that you know, if he if he were just to show them the kind of love that he came to bring, that that would make a difference in their lives. And so, um, when the Hawaiian government eventually moved women and children also to the island, 
um, uh, Sister Marian Cope, who was a Franciscan sister from, uh, from upstate New York. Uh, she and, and eight members of her community came to minister to them as well. Uh, and Ma Sister Marianne brought the same kind of, uh, of hopeful uh, recognition of their dignity to, to the island. Mm. Um, I, there's a, I, I quote in, in the book a, a great interview by a sister who had known Mother Marianne, now Saint Marianne, uh, several decades after she had died, she was talking to some people who had come to visit. And she said, you see how the people, they, 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 uh, they're cheerful, they sing, they, 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 they're beautiful colors in, in their clothing and the ribbons in their hair and the flowers all over the place. None of that was here before Sister Mary Ann got here. Mm. Right? Because when she got there, she said, well, don't, why don't we do this? And they said, we're lepers, we're here to die. Why do we have to worry about anything beautiful? said, but you're, you're children of God, and he loves you, and that's beautiful, and you are beautiful. And she mm. says it was the virtue of hope that allowed both of those saints not just to do good things or to be kind, but to really see human dignity and, and worth and grace in, in all of these folks that they were serving and help them to see it in themselves. Let's switch gears for just a minute. I want to talk about maybe something that I that I know that I have experienced and maybe, maybe some of our listeners have as well is is that there tends to be in the spiritual life whenever you, you you're continually going to confession that you it seems like that you end up confessing the same sins over and over and over again. And it's like okay, uh, I, I promise you know I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best not to to avoid the near occasions of sin. I'm gonna try my best to 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 do, to correct my life and and not not commit these sins again. But mm -hmm. here I am again. I'm a week and a half later and here you know i'm sitting here you know confessing the same sins that right there i think a week and a half that's yeah, that's, th not bad. that's not bad too, yeah. huh? <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'm, <laughs> or okay i'm two days later and here Focus. i am yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um exactly uh sorry, sorry. May, maybe uh maybe let's talk about how the virtue of hope can play into this effect because i think that a yeah. lot of a lot of guys can experience this sure i, I and i think it's i think all of your listeners can relate to what you're talking about, you know, and the the bad habits that we acquire. A lot of times, they're kind of various forms of self-medication, right? Taking comfort in something or some relationship or, or you know, uh, food or drink or, or or whatever it is, you know, something that's not God, right? Mm. Um, and what happens there, I think, is is that that kind of coping mechanism becomes a shortcut, right? I I kind of know what I need, what I want. I'm not sure that I can get there because it seems daunting, right? I know that this other thing will give me kind of a facsimile, a, a close approximation of what I'm after. I'll do that because it's easier, right? And so you get yourself into that rut of, you know, taking the shortcut instead of pursuing what you really need. Um, and then I think the way that that habit unfolds is, you know, long before you've actually kind of fallen into the bad habit, um, you've made a decision. Number one, this is inevitable. Number two, God doesn't care and won't understand, right? And mm -hmm. so I'm not going to, why, why would I bother to turn to him? He's, he, you know, he doesn't, he can't really love me when I don't, you know, if I, if, you know, sometimes we tell ourselves, I must not love him enough if I can't break this bad habit, right? Um, so why would he help me? Why would he love me? You know, I'm, I'm going to give in eventually. I might as well just give in now and get it, you know, get right. it over with. Right, um, And so I think, where, where hope comes in in terms of breaking that cycle is first of all to realize 
never, ever, ever once in your life have you ever been left alone by God, right? Um, that the virtue of hope helps us to remember in every situation he's there. You know, because what the devil does is he tempts us with things and then he gets us, you know, freaked out by it. And then he sneaks up right in our ear and says, and you're all by yourself. What are you going to do? Right? And the virtue of hope allows us to say, I'm never alone. I can always reach out to God and trust him to help me. Uh, and then to say, you know, if God has a plan and God is omnipotent, God can do what he said he's going to do. So this is not inevitable. He gives me freedom to, and I can exercise that according to my limited ability. And then he's going to do the rest. Pope John Paul I, who was only Pope for about a month, said, our hope rests on three truths. God is all powerful. God loves me immensely. And God keeps his promises. Right? And if we remember those things, then we don't get into that feeling of this is inevitable. I'll never be able to do it. Right? Because we have someone who loves us who's omnipotent, right? If your friend is omnipotent and offers to help, you should let him, right? <laughs> if your friend is omniscient and offers advice, you should take it, right? And the reason that we don't do what God is asking us to do is because either we don't believe that he's with us or we don't remember that he's God, right? And the virtue of hope helps us to keep both those things in mind. And, and when we can do that, it, it's incremental changes, right? Hope is a cumulative virtue. The first time we have to do something just relying on hope instead of a guarantee, um, it's risky and scary. But then we get through that and we have that much more experience, right? And so the next time, it's a little less risky because we have experience that last time I tried this, God helped me and it worked. Well, that grows exponentially, right? Like the more we do it, the easier it becomes to do it each time until mm. hope becomes a habit. Like you're talking, all virtues are, are these good habits. And we replace bad habits of sin with good habits of virtue and particularly acts of hope. So don't stop going to confession. No. Just, just because you're saying the same sins over and over again, do not stop going to confession. No, certainly not. Imagine what you'd have to confess if you weren't going to confession every mm. 10 days or so. Yeah, right. right. No kidding. You yeah. know, and, and not only that, but, but take opportunities for spiritual direction or pastoral counseling outside of the 5 or 10 minutes that you might have in confession. Uh, if there are things that, you know, the same thing is the temptation every time, the same thing is triggering that, um, you know, to just kind of, I mean, the sacrament does what it, what it does, right? The absolution, when we're sorry and, and we have firm purpose of amendment, we make good confession, we get absolved. But sometimes to help us to grow, it's necessary to extend that conversation. Talk about the other parts of life that are making that bad habit something that we're turning to for consolation or peace of mind or whatever. Um, we, then we're, it's not, we're not just confessing what we're doing, but we're, we're talking more deeply about what we're really looking for, what we really need, and finding an answer to those things in healthy ways and in our relationship with God instead of a cheap invitation. So we've only got about 60 seconds left. Uh, some of this, many of the saints have talked about, oh, here's the antidote to this temptation. When mm -hmm. you're being tempted this way, respond this. You know, you run, for, you run from some, you meditate about others. What, when you're being tempted to despair or presumption, what is the, how do you fight those temptations? Simply to, to say out loud to God, uh, this is what I'm dealing with, right? Because then you, what you've done is acknowledge, I'm not actually alone. God is here and is listening. And even if it doesn't seem like an answer comes right away, I've, I've, I've not given into despair or presumption. I have to do this on my own. I, I'm acknowledging I'm, and I can only do this with God's help. 
So I'm going to ask for his help, and, and that act of hope makes us more hopeful and, and gets us through the, the temptation. Not only that, but it seems like the, the people who are hopeful, uh, like you kind of mentioned before, they live a, a life of joy. Pope Benedict you wrote, uh, one who has hope lives differently, right? Mm -hmm. And it, ha it affects everything about who we are. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of self-feeding, like you said. It, be it gets exponential. It grows it's, on it's itself, yeah. parabolic at some point, you know, where it just goes up and up and up. Yep. Because you have more faith, because the hope you had that act of hope and it worked, and so now you've got more faith, and so you have more hope now. And if you're baptized, you've got the virtue of hope. You Boom. just got to put it into practice. That's right, Father Bachansky. I'm so grateful for you inviting us out here. This has been uh, already such a such a blessing just to be able to see Mundelein. We've heard a lot about it, but it's, it's so great to be here with with you and with uh, everybody here at the conference. Uh, CourageRC.org. Yeah, no, you're right. Courage.org. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That, that's where the people can go uh, to learn more. Absolutely. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. And cheers to Jesus.